This is Stefan Cobbs, our receiver out of Boise State, and you're listening to the Chasing the Natty podcast. Coming up on Chasing the Natty, with C2C releasing its May ADP for CFF drafts, I figured it was time to do a heat check on some of these players' ADP. To help us with that, we have prop pick king and CFF writer at Devi Watch, JD Yonke, joining. In addition, we need to discuss just how high we're willing to draft Lou Nichols now that Kobe Lewis has transferred away. All this and more coming right after this. Looking to Jared Stearns, who makes the catch and scores. What a burst! Trey Vaughn Anderson! As advertised, touchdown Buckeyes! This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful, wonderful drive to your work on this Monday mo- Monday morning or Tuesday morning if you are just uh, catching up on other podcasts and you had to push this off to Tuesday. Don't worry about it. We don't, we don't hold grudges around here. We're happy to be a Tuesday morning show as well. But again, appreciate y'all listening. We've got a great show ahead of head for you guys today. We're going to talk some player ADP, talk about which players we think need to kind of people need to kind of cool it down a little bit on how high they're drafting. Some players we're going to talk about that we think are dropping a little bit too low, maybe. So we're going to definitely talk about that. And who do I have on today to talk with us? Well, that is none other than Mr. JD Yonke. Uh, writer over from Devi Watch, and if you follow him along during the season, dude can make you a ton of money both on DFS and through prop picks. But JD, how are you doing today, sir? Doing great. It's my uh, my first time in on the show, and I'm looking forward to it. Um, anytime you start talking CFF, you never know exactly where it's going to lead. So I'm, I'm really excited to get into it. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So like I said, we got a pretty pretty big show ahead today. Um, we're going to also talk about Kobe Lewis um but even so like yeah we can um other things we can talk about here as well um jd you and i are both in some best balls with mike bainbridge and everything right now uh by the way if you are looking for uh different draft or different drafts and everything to get yourselves into uh contact mike bainbridge he'll probably have like three or four going at any given point so uh he'll hook hook you up with anybody and i also have another one of my drafts going right here i guess i'll ask you jd um in some of these best balls and everything, we're going to talk a lot of ADP today, but any kind of picks kind of stand out to you as like things you're starting to see a little bit as we're getting into this point in the season? Yeah, I mean, a lot of what we're doing with some of these best balls, I mean, it's kind of the same crew over and over. So I don't see a, a ton of change, but I do like getting out and uh, drafting in different leagues. And I know there's a few dynasty um, drafts coming up as well, but um Basically, it's a little all over the place. One thing I'm noticing here, the top quarterbacks are kind of set in stone, but like Caleb Williams is like for sure solidified round one in almost every draft now. Um, obviously, Lou Nichols, we'll talk about is shaking up around one. Um, and some of, the, some of the quarterbacks behind them, like Will Rogers and Quinn Ewers, like they were going round seven, round eight earlier in this season. Uh, and they're going like round three, round four, sometimes, you know, round five. So there's been a little bit of movement lately. Late. It seems like it was it was kind of stale. You know, you had your spring ball news, and obviously that kind of pink balled a lot of guys. And then once spring ball 
ended. It was just kind of stale for a little bit. And I think, I think it's, you know, the dog days of summer, as they call them, you know, the, uh, the, the, the hot air, the mad blood is stirring, um, whatever Mercutio's line is. No joke. From Spe- yeah. Speaking of but, which, but I, yeah, it's, it's getting a little crazy now. I, I look, I, I, I do think you're right. Part of it is that people just want to like change things up a little bit and not have just the same guys go in the same order each round. Like not that you're ever going to get the exact same order each round, but um, I do think people are just kind of stirring, trying to figure out, like, all right, how can we change this up to see if we can shift how people change their draft strategies? Maybe we all wait on quarterbacks a little bit longer. I think that was a big stir, like, a week or two ago, where, like, everybody was kind of waiting longer on quarterbacks. You could get a guy like Hendon Hooker or Bryce Young at, like, the end of the third round. I saw in one or two drafts. Some pretty crazy stuff. And also, speaking of the dog days of summer, I just looked at my, uh, I just looked at my phone not so long ago. I have not been keeping up with the weather. And I just realized it's supposed to get over 100 here in Athens this week. And so I'm like, that's that's not fun. So if I make any crazy picks this week, uh, that's why, everyone. So- it's it's 100 degrees here. Well, it's it's like oddly overcast. I was just doing yard work, so it couldn't have been quite 100 degrees yet. But it was yesterday. And like, that's a serious thing. The weather changes, man. I mean, we're not doing a whole scientific study, but the weather affects your behavior. And, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to have to heat check. Because we're heat checking our thermometers, we're gonna have to heat check some of this ADP as well. Absolutely, and we'll get right into that here in a little bit. But first, I gotta make my spiel before we get any further, because we're already several minutes into this, and I can't get too long into these shows without giving you guys my spiel. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. Love interacting with you guys down there in the comment section. Always one of my favorite things. And if you just want to reach out to me on Twitter as well, I'm at cff underscore jared. Uh, you can find also JD. He's pretty good about reach. You can reach out to him as well. He's at YonkerCFB, if I remember correctly, off the top of my head. Yeah. And so, and then if you're listening to this on podcast, make sure you're following us wherever you're listening to that podcast, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you are listening to their your podcast. I think we're pretty much on all of them, thanks to the service that I have. So, if for some reason I am not on your favorite podcast platform, please reach out to me and just let me know. Um, and even still uh oh yeah leave those five star reviews again i got a wonderful wonderful one from sue ann the other day i posted it on twitter it really just made my heart uh just melt with joy when i read through it uh she said she kind of helped like my she used my podcast to really try to learn to understand college football she's come from the kind of nfl dynasty of side of things listened to all of last season's uh podcast and she said she had an absolute blast so that kind of stuff really warms my heart, and I love hearing that from you, from you guys. But also, I love hearing constructive criticism. Do not be afraid to reach out to me and say, hey, like, I, like you do a good job on the show, but I think it could be better if you did this. All that good jazz. And then we are also part of the, the CFF team at Campus to Canton. It is myself, Nate Marquise, Brandon Sanders, and Chris Moxley. We make up the CFF team there. We got podcasts, articles, rankings, CFF ADP. We got the new draft predictor tool that you can use that is um, that I was able to work with Jarek and put together. But in addition to that, we got a ton of great podcasts uh, at the C2C family that can help you with your CFF leagues this fall. We got, of course, us, Chase and Natty with myself and whoever I happen to have on that week. This week is the ever-dashing Mr. J.D. Yonke. On Tuesdays, you got Campus Life with Austin Nace and Colin Decker. That is the college side of the Campus Canton flagship podcast. On Wednesdays, you got Debbie Debate live streamed on YouTube with Felix Sharp, Matt Bruning, Austin Nace, and Chris Moxley. They will upload that the next day on podcast form. On Thursdays, you got Canton Bound with Austin Nace and Colin Decker. That is the NFL side of the Campus Canton podcast. 
You also have on YouTube, The Official with Alfred Fernandez, Matt Powell, and David Nipple. That is a recruiting analytics show. Uh, they, lately, they've been doing a ton of uh, high school player interviews, so absolutely go check out that stuff on YouTube. And then on Fridays, you have, of course, the Future Freshman Podcast with Brandon Sanders on podcast and YouTube, helping especially those of you who are in CFF Dynasty Leagues, trying to pinpoint which one of these freshmen are more than likely going to contribute in year one for a lot of these programs and then they always have the big fish small pond portion at the end of the episode which in which they usually talk about a group of five guy that normally isn't talked about in like devi circles or c2c circles but could easily produce for you in cff year one if that is what you're looking for anyway long enough spiel for me let's go ahead and get real into this and the first thing we're going to talk about here is kobe lewis we're going to go transfer portal here Kobe Lewis transferring from Central Michigan to we don't know yet. He has just entered the portal as of this past week. So I think there are two ways to kind of talk about this. One is obviously where does Kobe Lewis go? Because I think that is an interesting conversation in and of itself. But also the thing that really got everybody riled up is how high now do we take Lou Nichols? Because for me... I was kind of off Lou Nichols for a little while, at least for as high as he was going, because I was saying, I think Kobe Lewis is going to cut into this volume like more than we're thinking. But now he's gone. So, JD, what are you thinking with Kobe Lewis here? How high are you willing to take him? Um, we were or talking off air. We were talking off air of how we, we saw him go 1-1 one, one, uh, first overall in two separate drafts. You saw him in one, and I saw him in one recently as well. Um would I take him one overall? I mean, I don't think so, but I was sitting there trying to, you know, update my rankings, rankings, you know, something you're always going to keep updating through summer. There's no uh, oh, yeah. definitive rankings, but I, uh, I wanted to move him to RB one. I, um, I, I, I could make a very strong case. And we are saying the top seven running backs are insane this year, but uh, basically I don't, I don't really think, there is a spot too early to take him like the one, one, while I don't think I would take him there. I'm still kind of a JSN guy. Um, I mean, I'm not looking at those picks and going, that's absolutely crazy. I look at that and say, Hey, Lou Nichols, we saw him without Kobe Lewis and he averaged 30 touches per game, 30 touches per game in a college format, especially in the Mac, especially with a big back like Lou, who can also catch passes goal line back. He averaged 32 fantasy points per game in PPR scoring over those last nine games. So if you're going to take a running back getting 32 fantasy points per game, and and I think central Michigan's only, uh, if anything, only going to get better. They return, you know, they lose some wide receivers, Quill Pimpleton, but they like to use him in the short game. So if anything, like, I, I don't know, like Luna Nichols, you could even convince me he's going to have a better end, you know, how he ended the season last year. He could even do better this year. So uh, I'm extremely bullish on Lou. I completely agree. I think the Kobe Lewis factor, I mean, he's no joke. Kobe Lewis is not. So uh, I was kind of viewing it a little similarly to the Northern Illinois backfield in the same conference where you have Whaley yeah. and Ontario Brown. And that one is, is more difficult to project because it's kind of a toss up. Whereas Nichols was more of a one and then Lewis is a one B, but uh, overall, I, I think it's absolutely huge for for, for Nichols. I'm uh, I'm feeling pretty confident about him. My my one thing, I, I was I was looking at some of these top backs. Is that you'll notice the the stats I gave were over the last nine games. Yes. So you're saying, well, what what do you do in the non-con? And that's still a worry. Um, and he does have Penn State and Oklahoma State um, in the non-con. So you have two dead weeks there. But I think every other week he's uh, he's he's probably going to be a stud. So overall, um, he's in he's in conversation for rb1 i'm not sure if i'm going to move him there yet but maybe this uh maybe this talk will help me help me think through it i mean i'm i'm with you on the 
the idea of us kind of losing two games there near the beginning of the season because you can point to last year's game against Missouri, but as um, I forget who said it, but I, I think it was Mike Mike Bainbridge said in the Discord at one point that he said I could run a against Mizzou's defense last year and put up 200 yards like Lou Nichols was able to last year, uh, and then when he saw him go up against like LSU, definitely one of uh, Lou Nichols' worst weeks on the season. So and. Penn State, Oklahoma State, they're going to have a pretty solid defense, so I'm definitely not wanting to play him against those weeks. But the counter to that is he's going to finish the season with Maction. So if you make it to the if if you make it to to your league's playoffs, having Lou Nichols is going to be, be a must-have because those were the games where he was putting up like 40, 50 point games at the end of last season. Just absolutely insane stuff. So I'm with you where like I don't think there's a pick that's too high for me. If somebody did take him 101, I'm not going to knock him whatsoever. I do still have Bijan and Jameer Gibbs ahead of him in my rankings. I'm not unpersuadable in terms of putting him over them, but the reason why I'm putting them those two up there is because they're on two systems that are going to score points against anybody in the country, no matter who they're going up against. Even if they're going up a pretty good defense, they're going to be able to find ways to get them the ball and make sure that they find the end zone. And I could do that week in and week out with those two guys. I think I'm going to keep it there. But Nichols is solidified to me in that top tier of running backs where it's just pick one and don't look back. Like You're just going to be happy with them no matter what, in my opinion. Yeah, and it, it kind of comes down to draft strategy and how you're, you're formatting your team. Because like you said, Lou Nichols getting 50 points. That's, um, you know, some of these other running backs like Bijan and, and Trey and, and, and Deuce, they'll come close. Like Deuce, I expect 30 points every week or close to it. Getting that 50 burger at the running back spot, like that is just something you don't really see. Like you see 50 burgers at the quarterback and every now and then, you know, wide receivers don't really hit 50, right? So it's yep. it, it's something that is is hard to hit. And I, I don't blame anyone for that. Um, you know, if you can trust yourself and say, hey, I'm going to draft well enough where if, if it's a season long league and right, it's not a best ball. And you say, hey, those two weeks, I'm just going to sit Lou Nichols and I'm going to find it because it's during the non-con. Like during yep. the non-con, you can take some SEC team that's not very good. You can take whoever's filling in for Chris Rodriguez well, while he's likely going to be suspended, still who knows, right? But you can take one of those guys who you wouldn't normally start. And if they're playing a cupcake matchup, that's really not that hard to, to do. And then if you're in a best yeah. ball format, if you say, hey, I'm going to get a few 40-point weeks, maybe a 50-point week out of Lou, um, I, it, it's an interesting conversation. So I um I, I pulled up the non-con for those four backs because that's that's what I was trying to decide. And I'm a little yeah. higher on Deuce. Um, Bijan has Louisiana Monroe, Alabama and UTSA. So I think you start him probably all those weeks. Yeah. Although Bama's not great, but I think you, you probably still start him, right? Yeah, I would say so. Um, Travion Henderson has uh, Notre Dame, so tough matchup, but probably still start him. Arkansas State and Toledo, so two very good ones and one you still start him, so not bad. Oh, yeah. Um, Deuce has a really good one. South Dakota, I believe that's the SD. I think it was South Dakota. Um, I know they play some of those Big 12 schools. Um, Mizzou, who we talked about their rush defense and Tulane. So you're going to start Deuce every week. And then Jameer Gibbs has the best of all those. So Jameer Gibbs, I originally had lowest at, at all these guys just for projected volume. And then when I went and looked at the non-con, he plays Utah State, Texas, Louisiana, Monroe, and Austin P. So he has by far the easiest non-con. I would say that so, is a start every single one. I know. So now it's almost more of a toss up. I, I went into the non-con thinking it would give me clarity and it's almost more of a toss up than, than it was to start. But again, every one of those guys, it's you're not going to be able to get two of them. So if you're in the first round, to me, it's grab one of them and then don't worry about it. Rasheen Ali, all of them, like 
they're going to get their due every single week more than likely so just go ahead and pick one and if, even if they have some dud weeks at the beginning like Rasheen Ali or Lou Nichols maybe they play some harder matchups at the beginning of the season they're going to earn you points on the way on the latter end of the season that's going to more than make up for it there at the beginning to me it's if you pick the, again my top my top seven running backs to me this is the tier one of running backs Bijan, Jameer, Lou, Braylon Allen, Deuce Vaughn, Rasheen Ali, Trayvon Henderson. Those seven guys, pick them, you're happy with. I, I, it, you could put those guys in almost any order, and I would be fine with it. So the second part of this conversation is, outside of Lou Nichols, is where does Kobe Lewis go now? Because you kind of mentioned it earlier, JD. Lou Nichol, or Kobe Lewis is not a slouch at running back. This isn't like some random like program guy that the coaches just felt the need to make sure that he was getting involved. No, like Kobe Lewis was the starter for Central Michigan just back in 2019. Back then, he had 182 carries for over 1,000 yards and 12 touchdowns, along with 23 receptions and 164 yards. and Well, no touchdowns to the air, but even still, he was getting receiving work. Clearly the RB1 back then. So there's no reason not to expect that he could transfer to another school here and probably be their starting running back going into the season if he finds the right spot. I saw somebody mention he is from Georgia, so there's a possibility he could go home to a Georgia school, something like Georgia State or Georgia Southern. No offense to my uh, home state schools there, but ew, on both of those accounts. I would much rather him, st- him stay in the MAC. Specifically, I want him to go to Buffalo because... Dylan McDuffie made the, and I say this kindly as much as I can, but the stupid decision to leave Buffalo and go to Georgia Tech. And I think they're still kind of looking for their main guy. Now, I like Mike Washington. I I like him going into this year. Um, I think he's a very underrated back right now. But if Kobe Lewis were to go to Buffalo right now, I would probably be picking him much higher than anywhere I'd be willing to pick Mike Washington Another school, other two Mac schools that kind of stick out to me, Ohio is looking for their next guy right now because my boy, uh, uh, DeMontre Tuggle is off to the NFL. God bless him. Um, And so I don't think O'Shawn Allison is really their next guy. He didn't really impress me last year. Under average, under four yards of carry while Tuggle was getting almost six yards of carry. Um, And then Eastern Michigan, I think, could be another one. Again, I don't think they have like a solidified top back. Um, not that we've really seen a ton of like success at Eastern Michigan running backs or anybody from real Eastern Michigan because they just have a weird offense. But even still, if you were to go to any of those schools, I would I would very much favor it. What do you think, JD? Like, what schools are you kind of hoping Kobe Lewis goes to, and which ones would kind of intrigue you the most? I think it's hard for me to picture a landing spot that would be better than central Michigan. And that's, I know that's difficult for me to say because he, he was likely going to be behind Lou Nichols, but again, I was almost treating that in a similar way to Northern Illinois. Again, I, I treat Kobe Lewis kind of like a one B in that I know he'd be on the field. I know he'd be productive and right. That's, I know they're going to score a lot of points and feature their running back. So I, I, I had him decently high in my rankings. I feel like I just kind of kept moving up a spot or two. I think I had him in the seventies. I forget where, but uh, I think he began the season, like in the hundreds for me. And then every time I looked at it and projected this offense, I, I just, I saw that, that workload. So yes, I agree with you in that he's a good enough back where if he is a starter someplace, 
that would, that would interest me. I think he can be that lead guy. The only thing is like thinking of a place for him to go. I, I just don't see it where he would be an RB one. That would be a place of interest. If he is an RB one, I think it's going to be on a bad backfield. Um, maybe he's just like, it's hard for me to, to tell what he wants because if he wants to be the featured guy, it's a little late to transfer now. And there's not, and if you're trans within conference in the Mac, you know, it, it's not like you're going to get a lot of better NFL looks doing that most likely. So I think overall, I, I would be hoping for, uh, I think the same lines you said, I think Ohio made a lot of sense and they actually, they actually could really run the ball. I know they featured their quarterback oh, yeah. a lot, but a lot, a lot of their stats, like I was going through the, the online stats and online yards and, and success rate. And Ohio was like, actually like really high up there, like top 10. Do you know those metrics? So I, you, I think that would be the most for me. Do you know what Ohio's uh, neutral green pass uh, pass rate was? No, that's not in my, not in my bank. They had, they, on, in a neutral setting, like, again, like, not behind or ahead or anything like that, like, say it's zero to zero, they ran the ball 72% of the time. So if Kobe Lewis were to go to, o, go to Ohio, behind that O-line, like you mentioned, again, I, I just did this uh, team evaluation for our CFF guy coming up, so I'm a little, little giddy about this now. Um, their their uh, offensive line yards was some of the best in the nation last year. And so I would absolutely love to see Lewis go there and just absolutely just become another Mac running back for us to kind of pick up later in drafts. Yeah, I, I was surprised going in and looking at him. I expected more receiving work. For some reason, that's kind of how I had Kobe Lewis pegged in my head. But when you go in and look, like there's only like one receiving touchdown in his career. But kind of the way I, I would, if I had to forecast this, I, I don't know if it's a Georgia school. I don't know. I, I almost see him trying to take a step up in competition and kind of being like a third down back somewhere. But um, I hope not. Yeah, I hope he goes to an Ohio or a Buffalo. I would, I would definitely love Ohio or Buffalo. Make it happen, Mr. Lewis. Make it happen. You follow me on Twitter, so I'll throw, I'll throw that tweet out there and just say, uh, Kobe Lewis, please go to Buffalo or Ohio. He likes my – I tweeted something. For it, I quote tweeted it, something about, you know, Lou Nichols to the moon or Lou Nichols stock skyrocket, something like that, and Kobe Lewis liked it. So I was like, I don't know what to, to say about that. I didn't say anything hey, man, he, positive about Kobe. I would say he, he likes his teammates. What, what can you say? Alrighty, that pretty much finishes up the transfer portal section here. Again, really only one person to talk about here, but again, great discussion there. Let's go ahead and talk about some of these uh, players who are going to heat check their ADPs. So I am going to list who they are. I'm going to give you guys their ADPs from both May and June. The May is public information. Uh, as a thank you for you guys listening, I'm also going to give you so far what their ADP has been here in June, if that is kind of a relevant point of conversation for this so we're first going to start off with my qb4 and that is mr hendon hooker quarterback out of tennessee his may adp was 18.5 put him right there in the middle of round two and his june adp was not much different 18 right there in the middle of round two but he has risen from probably like a mid third rounder in the beginning of the season or the beginning of the offseason and is now kind of a solidified right there in the middle of the second round jd what's the heat check here do you think hendon hooker is worth that second round pick does he belong in that top tier of quarterbacks that kind of get taken there at that first round tail or beginning of the second round what do you think here yeah i think he does you know josh heupel system dual threat guy uh, I understand this Vilas Jones, but there's still weapons there. And for me, these are the teams I look to target. Um, 
even if I'm not a big Tennessee volunteer fan, they're just the team, the recipe, right? The formula for how they're trying to win them. It's going to be USC this year, uh, right? It's going to be Texas this year. It's just teams that are going to want to get into a shootout. Texas isn't going to go in there and try to upset Alabama by a final score of 21 to 17. They're not, they're not Georgia and they know it. So overall, um, few negatives to bring up for Hendon Hooker. Um, I, I view that top quarterback tier actually very similarly. It was very hard for me to rank. You could, again, just kind of jumble it up. It's like the, the quarterbacks. You just want one of them and one of the running backs we were talking about. Like Sam Hartman, I'm really high on Hendon Hooker. I'm high on Caleb Williams is now a first rounder, right? CJ Stroud's obviously a first rounder. And then you have, you know, Malik Williams still in there. So for me, that's my clear tier one. I think there is a definite step back after those guys. Um, I have absolutely no problem grabbing hooker in the second round. A lot of times, if I'm one of the top three picks a couple times with, with a hand and hooker at the end of the second round, or even in the middle of the second round, I, I see absolutely no problem. I think the upside is sky high. I can only see him getting better. He took a huge step forward last year. Cause oh, yeah. I watched a lot of his games at Virginia tech. I have family who goes there. So watch all their games. And I mean, I, I never saw this coming whatsoever. He, he took massive strides forward. The, the system was huge for him. And I think he's only going to, going to keep getting better. So yeah, I'm buying. Yeah, I think I'm going to be I'm 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 going to stick with it here and say that, you know, mid second round I think is perfectly acceptable, um especially if you did not grab one of the first quarterbacks in the first round there. Um I don't necessarily think I think it was was it Lob that did the Bryce Young head and hooker double tap in the uh, Sumu Kun Lao draft. I think so. Um, I don't think I'm going to do that. I think if you're going to take Hendon Hooker that high, you need to pair him with another top wide receiver or a top running back. I know one of the big things early on in the best balls was people in the second half loved grabbing Hendon Hooker at the end of the first round and then grabbing Cedric Tillman in the second round. They love getting that stack right there. Um, and I don't necessarily blame them on that. So overall with Hendon Hooker, again, I think his, again, he is ri- he's definitely risen over the past couple of months, but I think it's personally warranted. And I think a lot of people are just kind of coming around to the idea that like, hey, Hooker can be one of the top tier quarterbacks for this year. And I'm personally comfortable with it at this point. Like I said, his ADP in the last month was QB4. He's my QB4. So this is right around where I would take him. All right, let's go ahead and hit up another quarterback here. We're gonna hit, by the way, we're gonna hit three quarterbacks here, three running backs three wide receivers, and then we'll finish it off with a tight end there at the very end. So now we're going to move on to Mr. Grayson McCall, quarterback out of Coastal Carolina. His May ADP was 75, which put him in round seven. But his June ADP right now has gotten down at 101.5, putting him in round nine. He's my quarterback 16, but his ADP in May would have put him at the QB 23. It's even lower than that now in here in June. So what's going on here? Like, like you mentioned earlier, JD, this is not like we're in the, we're in the dog days of summer. We're not getting a ton of news here. What do you think is kind of driving him getting dropped down to round nine range? And do you think this is getting a little too low? Do you think we need a heat? Do we need to heat Mr. McCall back up here when it, when it comes to ADP? Yeah, so I'm going to bring up a lot of negatives on McCall for why I think he's dropping. Um, but yeah, there is a but at the end of it um, for sure. So as far as why it's happening now, I don't know. I know a lot of like the preview magazines are coming out. I just got Lindy's and Athlon. I haven't read the Coastal section yet, but 
I mean, he's been out for, for spring ball. He, he missed a couple games last year, right? They had Bryce Carpenter step in, and yeah. they just kept saying it was an upper body Coastal Carolina news. So uh, that's another thing. We haven't gotten a lot of updates throughout the spring, but uh, he, like he was wearing a sling on his arm, and they said he had surgery, So and he's out throughout the spring. So it sounds like he, they, they aren't saying they're being very tight-lipped. So if you're in there on the message boards, we need some of our, our message board warriors to uh, go find out what's exactly going on. Do you know, Jared? I, I just know it, it was some sort of serious-sounding injury to his throwing arm. Yeah, I, 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 I've not been able to find anything definitive. But again, I do think it was something. It was definitely something to do with his arm or his shoulder. I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah. So whatever it is, it doesn't sound great. Okay. So I think that's first, and then you know the news is that I was like, we're we're gonna get some more soon. Um, but going in some of the negatives, basically what makes Grayson McCall awesome is that he's hyper efficient. Like he is one of the most efficient quarterbacks in college football history. Um, it's not hyperbole. He is the coastal only throws the ball. They only threw the ball 24.8 times per game last year. Um, it's just the scheme, right? They have that weird yep. option scheme. Um, and there's just not, not a lot of volume. So the fact that he's managed to be such a CFF star there is, is pretty crazy. So that's, that's another negative. That's two. Uh, Going back to that injury, and so this is kind of a number three, it's kind of a 1A. Um, he a lot of his production comes off off rushing, right? And he nice. actually didn't run the ball that much last year. Back, I was surprised. Um, but if you're coming off an injury, a lot of your, your production's from rushing. And then I mean, he is a pro prospect. And a lot of times I'm a little leery of these pro prospects and when they're going into their last year, and sometimes they they take a step back in rushing. So I don't know if that's a concern, especially coming off the injury. Personally, I just I don't really view McCall like that. And this program has a very clear identity. And I think holding back identity from rushing, like I think that would totally kind of have to overhaul the scheme. And I don't really see that happening, but it's at least in the back of my mind. Um, and then last but not least, um, he just loses his top pass catchers. He loses Isaiah Likely, loses Hiley. And then um, the other guy they had in there who was in college for like 100 years, Cameron Brown. I forget his name. He's actually really good when you'd watch the games. Oh, yeah. Really, guys, and that program like coach reloading the wide receivers may not happen. So that's all the negatives I have to say. That being said, he just so I didn't have a, I don't think I had a single share of him because that right that's in the back of my mind when he's going. I guess I'm go like fifth round a few places. Um, I just took him in the tenth round of a draft, and I feel absolutely great about that. He's actually the third quarterback I took on my team, and I'm like, okay, hold up. If I'm not spending a ton of draft capital, and I can get Grayson McCall as like either a cheap QB two or even you know maybe a, a little bit of a payup for a QB three for a guy who has been on the field is dominant in the Sun Belt, but receivers he loses. If he's on the field, he's going to be scoring 25 points per game. So it's almost like he has that safe floor. There is still the rushing. Uh, there is still the easy competition. It's like he has that safe floor, and you never know. He, he's a stud. He's been in college and competing since he was a freshman. He could take that next step forward as he's trying to put his last bit of film on. He he chose to go back to Coastal. A lot of people thought he was going to transfer. There was a lot of national college football podcasts saying this kid's going to transfer to a Power 5 program. He didn't. He opted to come back. Huge number. So if he's going round nine, round ten. Yeah, sign, sign me up in round nine, round 10 every single time. And you you mentioned the fact that, again, he could have transferred. And I know the program that was the big, again, I think we can talk about this now because we're it's done, it's over with, he's not going to transfer. UNC was very involved there. There was, there was a lot of rumors, a lot of smoke around the idea that McCall could get out of Coastal and go over to the Tar Heels to replace Sam Howell. He chose to stay. It sounds like he is really bought into this program and thinks that they could get him 
to where he needs to be in the NFL. If he wanted an easier path, he could have gone to UNC. Now, granted, we now see that maybe the NFL doesn't value UNC's system as much as we thought, because again, Sam Howell dropped to the fifth round for some reason. Uh, but I'm personally on the, the mindset, like I was kind of off McCall at first, because I think earlier on in the off season, he was going like in the round like fifth, sixth round. I was like, okay, I'm not willing to take him here, especially if it's like my first quarterback or even my second. I'd be like, eh, I don't think it's quite as great there. But now that he's getting down here in round nine, where you're looking at him being your easily your third option you can pick up on your team, I'll take that every single time. And honestly, I'm of the mindset where I'm going to heat up his ADP a little bit here. I'm like, y'all, round nine is getting a little too low. I think round seven um round eight especially if, especially if you can get him as your third qb i think is a perfect perfect fit for mccall right there so yeah just just last thing i'll add I, I i agree i mean everything's always team building strategy but like you said if i'm grabbing grayson mccall as my qb1 and i'm relying on him because i did a zero qb strategy and i'm already behind the eight ball on quarterbacks i'm not necessarily sure that's where i want to do right but like for example, I just took John Reese Plumley and Cameron Ward in the first, first seven rounds in a draft, two high upside guys I'm not sure about, and then added Grayson McCall as a third like high upside guy. But like I said, you, you can be worried about the injury, but the floor, he's going to score 25 points a game. So if one of those Plumley or Ward doesn't pan out, yeah, I spent three picks within the first 10 round on a quarterback I normally wouldn't do, but like that's that's not that crazy. And even if he's at your QB2, yeah, you have right. So I, I just said there's a lot of flexibility you can go in the ninth and tenth round. Whereas that's not flexibility if you're drafting in sixth or seventh round as your QB one. That, that just doesn't offer flexibility. So I don't know. It's it's always draft strategy is one thing I always find interesting. I agree 100 percent Speaking of those best balls, I believe you are up in the number 10 best ball. So I'll let you make that pick real quick. And then I'll get us started here on the final quarterback we're going to talk about here today. And this one, I've made a switch at the last minute because originally we were going to do Colin Schley, and I realized we kind of talked to him about him a lot here on the program not not too long ago. But also, I went back and checked the month-to-month ADP just one more time, and I realized that all of a sudden, Jake Hayner has been shooting up ADP. In April, he had an ADP of 122. That would have put him right there in like round 10, 11. In May, he has an ADP of 87. And now in June, he has an ADP of 58. So he's gone from round 10 to round 8 to round 5 in the last two months. Why the rise now? What What's going on here? Is it is it just like, is it just the ebbs and flows of drafting? Some people rise and fall during the offseason. But, J.D., what do you think is going on here? This one boggled me when I saw it. I don't think I know. I, I know I've seen, like, it's always hard for me to tell. I know he has his fans in the in the Debbie world and NFL prospects. And, and so I'll just say this. I'm the biggest fan of Jay Cannon there is. Fresno, I kind of adopt him. I live, you know, in Central, Central Valley of California, so not too far away. I try to adopt him, try to watch all their games. Um, that being said, like, I don't understand it. He, um, he doesn't have rushing upside. He, um, the system was a downgrade. I still, still like Tedford. I still like what that offense is going to do, but the system downgraded, no rushing upside. I, I just, I don't really get it. Like, I don't understand. He, he's a spine QB three, maybe a back end QB two, um, that if I'm doing like a zero QB, I, I would feel comfortable grabbing. 
Um, because I like his weapons, but I'm I'm not sure. I don't know if it's I, I really have no idea where it's coming from. I know some of these magazines, and like I said, this is kind of the age of, of summer, right? Some stuff's trickling in. I've seen a lot of like Fresno puff pieces coming out on like my Twitter timeline. And I know mine probably doesn't look like other people's, right? It's all college football, but um uh, but like I saw, you know, a few people post like best offense in the Mountain West, Fresno State, best wide receivers in the Mountain West, Fresno State, best quarterback, Fresno State, best running back. Fres- like I saw a bunch of uh, puff pieces lately. Um, so I don't know. I don't really know what it is, but I don't agree with it at all. I would not take him in the fifth. I would not take him in the fifth. Granted, he, I think, has one of the safer floors out of QBs because, again, he finished last year as the QB 24. So you got to like the fact that like he's been there, done it, been a week-to-week producer for CFF players in the past. This isn't, he's not the QB 24 because he had just some insane weeks that he just popped off. No, it's just week after week, you can probably guarantee a touchdown or two from him. He's going to produce well for you. He's probably going to throw for over 250 yards because uh, that's just the kind of system that he's in. Again, you're right. We go from DeBoer to Tedford, although I think Tedford, based on what we've seen in the past, Probably not going to be that much of a downgrade for him. Uh, but even so, again, I'm, I'm, I'm befuddled by this. I'm going to put the ice cube on here. I'm going to say we need to cool off on this ADP here because round five is ridiculous. Because let's look at like some of the other quarterbacks that go in round five. Like Let's look at this best ball we're in right now. In this round, Dylan Gabriel. I'm going to take Dylan Gabriel over Jay Hayner every single time. Brandon Armstrong, I, I'm off of Brandon Armstrong like almost completely, so I'm going to say no. John Rice Plumley, another very high upside dude. I'd, I'd take him in the fifth round probably. Um, Tanner Mordecai, and uh, Tanner Mordecai, again, if you believe he's a starter, he's easily worth a fifth round pick in my opinion because he was absolutely insane last year. I think, what did he finish as? He finished as the QB9 last year, so like, what else are you going to expect there? He, get, he gets... Uh, Right, Lashley back as offensive coordinator. So, but even so, like I, if you were to put Jake Hayner in the middle of that, I would definitely be questioning that pick. So, yeah, for sure, I would take all those guys you mentioned: Quinn Ewers, Cam Ward, Aiden O'Connell, Garrett Schrader, like any of those guys. I mean, I'm not to pile on Hayner because again, I'm a fan and I'm a fan of this offense. It's not that I'm negative; it's just the price, like. Exactly. Like, I think Hayner underperformed. He underperformed my expectations. QB24 is fine, but, like, with Kalen DeBoer, with those wide receivers, with the advantage they had, we saw what he can do, like, in that UCLA game, some incredible performances. I honestly, I think he kind of disappointed last year, and Ronnie Rivers did, too. They both had five fine seasons, but, like, you would just expect they were just that that step he did not take, so you're assuming he he was close and now he takes that step with a lot of returning talent and the returning wide receivers i guess would be the thought process but that's not really that's not really my problem no absolutely again i'm i'm, I'm keeping the ice cube on this one hayner y'all need to cool off on him just a little bit um where would you say jd is where you would be a bit more fine with uh jake hayner i have him as my qb where do i have him as uh i just saw him qb 19 so if I remember correctly, that would be roughly put him as that would roughly put him in the like seventh, eighth round for me. I think I'd be pretty comfortable taking him there, especially as a QB two. But what are your kind of thoughts? Where would you be comfortable taking him? He's a guy I view like these guys that I'm 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 fine on. Like it's almost similar to what I said about McCall. Like if he lasts until the tenth, I'll say okay, there's a really good quarterback and a guy that 
I mean, you know, Hayner, like you said, he has a floor. You know he's going to have a good season. How could he not in the Mountain West? It would be it would be shocking if he didn't have a good season. So um, I, I I would – he's one of those guys, like, if he falls to me in the 10th, great. If he falls to me in the 9th, I might consider it. But, I mean, I don't think I have a single share of him going right now. And, you know, he's going in the 8th and a lot of the best balls I'm doing, so a little later than some of his ADP. But, um, yeah, he's a guy that would that would have to fall for me. No, absolutely fair. And I, I, I think part of it is also, like – Best ball, Hayner doesn't have the upside that some of the other quarterbacks go, so he probably would fall a little bit further in a best ball versus like a redraft league where, again, you can trust him a little bit more week to week rather than just looking for that potential 40, 50 point game, which again, I don't think Hayner's ever really going to get to because, again, like you said, doesn't have the rushing ability. But even so, that's a great point. That's a great point. I like him a lot of my, uh, a lot of what I'm doing right now is best ball. And when I draft, um, Season long, I, I I love the floor. I think if you if you have a floor where you know you're going to go out there and you're both your quarterbacks are going to score 25, you know both your running backs are going to get you at least 18. Like I think that's how you you win leagues because it's a week by week game, and a lot of times Absolutely. we forget that when we're projecting. So so I, I agree with you. That's a really good point. All righty, let's move on from these quarterbacks here. Let's move on to some of these running backs, and I'm going to go ahead and put the ice cube on this one. Nicholas Singleton, y'all. I love Nicholas Singleton. He is the 101 for me in supplemental drafts this year in CFF Dynasty and everything. But for redraft, we're looking at a May ADP of 66, which puts him in round six, and a June ADP now putting him at 50, which puts him in round five, like the beginning of round five. Y'all, we need to cool off on this one. We really need to cool off on this one. I understand the hype behind it. I understand the idea that Nicholas Singleton is that next great running back at Penn State. We've seen the Saquon Barkleys. We've seen the Miles Sanders. But for redraft, y'all, I don't think we're going to get that year one here. This puts him as the RB24. He would have to take over that backfield and separate himself really early on at the beginning of the season. And I'm just not seeing the news come out like that, saying that he will be the guy to start the season. I think this is a little bit maybe C to C driven, but also I think it's just hype that's getting a little out of control here. JD, what do you think on Nicholas Singleton here? Is he going too high or am I crazy? And I'm just uh, being a hater on Singleton, even though I love him. I think he's going way too high. And I agree with you. I think the kid's a stud. It's um, I mean, so many things would have to go right here. Like when you're projecting what goes right one, Yes, he would have to be that monster we all expect him to, but he'd have to be that in year one, which is a difficult projection, right? Um, and, and again, I, I don't know if I've seen enough that he's guaranteed to just go out there and be Adrian Peterson. I mean, he might, but even if he does go out there and he is Adrian Peterson, there's still stuff that has to go right. Like Penn State hasn't been able to run the ball effectively. Like this is not the Penn State, State team you are remembering. Like if anything, it would, we were saying the next Saquon Barkley is what people are expecting, right? Well, but. Like, look how that's going for Saquon Barkley in the NFL with that shitty Giants offensive line. Like, he's averaging below four yards a carry, right? So, I just, I, I see no way I would, I would, I would draft him in the fifth round. And, and I love him. I understand the upside play. I just think if I'm taking an upside play in CFF, I'm taking an upside play on the system. Like, like a John Reese Plumley has the upside, and he's playing at UCF, and he's playing against that competition. Singleton, I understand the upside long term, but if it's just for this year, no way, no way, am I getting him that early. No, again, like you said, like that's why I say in Dynasty, he's the number one back off your board. And in fact, I think he's the number one player off of your board. Because I think maybe not year one, but year two, year three, 
and they build around him, he could easily be one of the best backs in college football and easily be an RB1 for CFF by the time it's all said and done. But for now, I think we definitely really need to kind of cool off on him here. Let's go ahead and talk about the next running back here. And we're going to move on to a guy we haven't really talked about in a while, but he his ADP started off really high as the season started. But now things have kind of cooled off very quickly for him because I think a lot of people realize the injury uh, may be a little bit worse than they were anticipating. But we're talking about Muhammad Ibrahim here, running back out of Minnesota. Uh, but has basically what I'm going to ask here, his ADP for May was 72.5, put him around 7. June ADP, 68.5, put him up at around 6. It's a little bit higher, but not like it's only about, by about 4 picks. So not like a huge shift or anything like that. What do we think about this kind of rough ADP of around 70 here, JD? Like, um, because again, he started off this year like going in like the second and third round. People have very much cooled off on him since then, but since then, we've seen a pretty big exodus from that Minnesota running back room. We've seen Irving go, we've seen Kai Thomas go. Um, I'm trying to think there's a third one that left as well. Oh, Cam Wiley's Wiley. going off to Wiley. Akron. And so that kind of leaves basically Mo Ibrahim, Treshawn Potts. Treshawn Potts has his own uh, medical issues that he's got to worry about. And then that leaves Bryce Williams, who I don't think anybody is exactly hyping up as like that next great Minnesota running back. And you got freshman Zach Evans, who I like a lot. But it pretty much is kind of setting up for Muhammad Ibrahim, if he rehabs well, could take back over that running back field. And if that's the case... Wouldn't would you kind of love that here in the sixth or seventh round, especially if he's not your first running back off the board? What do you think about that, JD? I don't. I don't hate it. Um, I, I think I echo your point, so I, I, I won't try to rehash them. But I think you have to understand the range of outcomes here, which sounds weird with Ibrahim because last year, right, he was the top pick because there was no range of outcomes. There was he's going to receive he touches a game. It's like the Lou Nichols thing, right? Except even safer because he plays in a power five conference and there's, there's more news about him. Right. That's one of the reasons like Lou Nichols and, and Rasheen Ali, like some of these teams, we just, you don't have a lot of, a lot of news. And so it's hard to be hundred percent confident drafting that early. But um, I, I think I agree because the, the upside is still immense because if he does come back healthy and I know the Achilles, that is a big if. So there are a lot of things to fall in line, but I don't think it's that complex. If he, if he does come back healthy, like you said, there's, I think this offense is going to be better. They have the new OC, but we, we have a pretty good 220 plus RB one, you know, workload history with Chiraca. He's been at Minnesota before. Ibrahim uh, uh, has had a yard season with over 200 carries uh, under Chiaraka before. I think, um, it's again, it's similar to what I said with McCall and how I'm treating him. If I can structure my team where I don't need Mohammed Ibrahim to be my RB one. Um, so if you're grabbing him in sixth or seventh, maybe he's like an RB two, right? RB three. I am almost trying to treat him as again, if I get nothing from him, my team's going to be okay. So what I've tried to do in some teams is it's like load up. Like if I get three really good running backs, I like in the first six rounds, um, like Ibrahim was lasting to the 10th and a lot of the industry leagues. And I said, if Ibrahim's lasting until the 10th, I'm going to grab him because oh, yeah. if he plays and he is a thousand yard back with double digit touchdowns, which he would be if he, if he gets that workload and there's a, there's a high percentage he does if he's healthy, then I have four, I, I could have four 
potential for an RB1 season. And that's how you win some of these leagues is if you, you swing for the fences. Oh, yeah. Or because like I said, I, I think that's I do that more. I don't swing for the upsides of Nick Singleton that I don't think are going to pan out with Ibrahim. It could not pan out. But if it does, it, it, it could be a league winner. So I'm, I'm not pounding the table for he's going to be. I think seventh round is approaching that territory where you can already have six good players. And it is more of a flyer. So I, I don't hate the seventh round. My strategy has been if he's in the eighth, I'll consider him. If he's in the ninth, I will almost definitely take him. And if he's in the 10th, I will absolutely take him. So I wouldn't hate that. I, I would say round six is getting a little high. You have to be really, really smart with your drafting to make sure you're not falling behind on any other positions. Because if Ibrahim is a black hole and doesn't recover well, uh, you could be kind of tanking your team. Like I've seen him go in the fifth round. I think this draft we're in right now, he went in the fifth round. I think if he doesn't pan out in the fifth, I just, I cannot sink my team with, with, with the top five pick. So I, I think you really need those top five established. I would prefer to have six studs established on my team, but, but yeah. You got cut off there in a second. You just repeat that last little bit. Yeah. I just said seventh round feels right. I, okay. I, I think, I think if he's creeping up in round six and starts getting to round five, it looks like his ADP is probably going to, keep going up. Cause right. You, you said you made a good point. Potts is still coming back from injury. It sounds like the coaching staff thinks both are going to be healthy. They sound a little more positive on pots. So if I'm in a deeper league, I know handcuffing isn't very popular these days, but especially in best balls, I, I have plenty of teams where I grab Ibrahim in the 10th and then I grab pots in the last round. And I basically, in my opinion, locked up a, a 20 point per game at the position. So I think you have to be smart with your drafting. Don't just go out there expecting a stud, just recognize it's high ball. Yeah, there's a there's a reason for how to. Sorry, you you got cut off again, so I figured you were done talking. But um, there's a reason why he dropped down to the this round six seven range. Like you said exactly right. Like don't draft him expecting a guarantee. If he was a guarantee, this man would be a round top five pick in CFF drafts, like he was last year going into the season. But he's not. There's a lot of question marks around him, and so like you said, JD. It really depends on who you've already picked ahead of you. If you're going to the seventh round and say you've already picked up like two stud running backs that you feel like are can't misses, yeah, take a shot on Muhammad Ibrahim. Especially, again, seventh round, you're picking up your flex at that point. That's going to be your guy that you're kind of pulling in and out of each week anyway, more than likely, depending on the week. So if you're picking Muhammad Ibrahim as your flex and it turns out you got a week-to-week starter, hell yeah, gotta love that in the seventh round. But... I agree with you. Getting him into the fifth round where you're starting to say he is one of my top two running backs on a two running back team, uh, I can't say I'm on board with that. So, uh, Any other notes I have on Mohamed Ibrahim here? I think we're good to go. Let's go ahead and move on to the next one. Final running back we're talking about here today, we got Kamar Wheaton, running back at SMU, transferred to, or to SMU, from Alabama, his May ADP was 79.5, which put him in round seven in June. He's going up even more. He is now at an ADP of 63, which puts him in round six. Normally, I would just blame Josh Chevalier here uh, for skewing the ADP, but he was only in one of these drafts. So this is a, a legit shift among people to be buying more into Kamar Wheaton. I just realized the graphic says Kamer Wheaton, so my apologies to everyone on that. Um, but even still, JD, what do you think about Kamar Wheaton kind of going up here? In May, This uh, his ADP would have put him at the RB31 range. 
in June, this ADP of 63 would put him in the RB23 range. I personally have him as my RB36. What do you think here? He's one of the most difficult players um, to rank for me. I don't really think I have a share of him yet. And a lot of the leagues, you're right. Like if Josh is drafting, he's not will take him in the fourth and fifth round. So I think it's only going to keep going up. Um, and I can see why. So on one hand, I understand he's a five-star transfer down. Usually see a transfer down and it's like, okay, he's a three or four star and you're intrigued. No, he's a five-star transfer down from Alabama to SMU, which is a prolific team with an yep. easy schedule. So absolutely every single box is checked for me. Uh, and I have no doubt SMU is going to score a ton of points. So, and on one hand, it's almost pretty safe. Um, on the other hand, why I'm not 100% sure, I, I did think he was overrated as a prospect. So I don't treat him like a five-star, but still maybe you're right. A four-star, that's still a pretty big deal. Oh, yeah. At the scheme, Lashley's scheme, they've only really had a good RB1 um, performance in only one of the last four years. That was obviously a huge year when Xavier Jones had 23 touchdowns, but I'm just, I'm not sure. I think we does probably have the receiving chops and even I'm I'm just saying, basically you can do a forest in the trees thing. I I think I I need to simplify it and just look at, Hey, he's a, he's a huge talent in a great system. That's going to run a lot of plays and score a lot of points in a good conference for CFF. So um, I think overall I am bullish. I I think I need some shares because the upside is huge. And like I said, they're going to score a lot. So I think a thousand yard season with something like 18 touchdowns is, is within the range of outcomes. Um, so I think, again, it's, it's, it's not, it's not a four pick. And like I said, I'm usually a safer drafter, but I, I absolutely agree with the ADP trend. Uh, I think I would give this one a fire emoji, even though again, I, like, it's weird for me to say, I don't have many shares, but I can see the interest. And I think where there's smoke, there's fire. And I think right here with Wheaton, we have fire. See, I currently have him as my RB 36. And so, like, to me, this is getting a little bit too high, especially that June ADP, which puts him in the RB23 range. That's almost, that's 12 running backs ahead of where I have him currently. And again, I understand the upside play, but again, upside plays are for the Muhammad Abrahams. They're for that round, like, 7, uh, 8 range where you're starting to get out of your starting lineup and into your flex, into your bench. And so, I personally think I would put the ice emoji on this one where I think we just need to cool off just a little bit. Like the fire emoji means that you're going, you're you're saying he should go even higher. Like you're thinking, like, like he's deserving of a round five, round four ADP. I, I think he is, and again, it's it's hard for me to say because I haven't drafted him there, right? So mm-hmm. it's like I'm not very confident in my take. It's um, it's it's not usually how I structure my team. So if someone's structuring their teams where they're shooting for upside, I think I would prefer him in a best ball format in round five. To say I would draft him there, so I, I think. Round six, I'm okay with. Round seven, I, w- I would definitely, definitely draft him there. Um, but you're passing over some pretty good backs in round five a lot of times. Like I've, like I've been drafting Zach Evans at Ole Miss. He's lasting like end of round four a lot of times. And that's mm-hmm. we're getting real close to Wheaton range. I mean, I know for sure who I'd rather have. I think out of those two, again, th- those are both in similar range to me. I think I'd actually rather have Wheaton. Again, I, I do think that Evans is going to be splitting that backfield more than we're kind of giving him credit because again he's has very much gone on the record and said that like i i don't want to have a workhorse load at Ole miss if he wanted a workhorse load at Ole miss i would be drafting him in the top 12 running backs easily but i think we're getting and again he 
I'd rather have Zach Evans in a, in a best ball because I think he has that home run ability to where any given play he could take it to the house. But I don't think he's going to do that week in and week out. I don't think he's going to have the volume to make up for not being that efficient week in and week out. So I pretty much I'd rather have Kamar Wheaton. Uh, but again, they're they're pretty close to my rankings uh, if I remember correctly. Actually, they're. Actually, no, I, I, I was wrong. Uh, Zach Evans actually is a little bit ahead of Kamar Wheaton in my rankings. Uh, he's Zach Evans is RB32 for me. I have Kamar Wheaton at 36. So they're right there next to each other. Probably would go um, Zach Evans more often than not. But typically, Zach Evans doesn't make it this far down anyway, so I'll probably pick up Kamar Wheaton if it gets to that range for me. All right. That, point, that, pretty, much, ugh, that pretty much finishes up the running backs for us. Let's talk about some of these wide receivers here. This one, to me, I had to put on here because the ADP of Jordan Addison has uh, been interesting to me all summer or all offseason. He was already going in the second round, pretty early second round. And even with the transfer from USC to, or from Pittsburgh to USC, he's staying there for the most part. Because um, again, May ADP of 15 puts him at the end, beginning of round two. June ADP, slight uptick to uh, 14, put us, still keeps him in round two. But I cannot tell you the number of drafts I've seen already since the transfer that he has crept up into the first round, especially that end of the first round. Uh, around like pick 10, pick 11, pick 12 range. I think I see him go off there pretty much every round or every draft that I've seen now. Is it worth it? I don't know if I'm willing to go, ready to go that Jordan Addison is now a first-round wide receiver at USC, especially when they have other talented options there in Mario Williams and Gary Bryant. Again, I still think Addison will be the number one wide receiver there, but we weren't giving Mario Williams that first-round treatment before we got there. And I think we all agree that Mario Williams would probably have been the wide receiver one at USC. So why now does Addison suddenly get that first round treatment. What do you think, JD? Yeah, I've taken him pretty early a few times, mostly just because I didn't have any shares. And I think the upside is is pretty big playing in the Pac-12 with, with Caleb Williams, who, I mean, I view as an upgraded quarterback. I don't really want to be controversial there. It was a hard player for me to peg heading in because, yes, he was still at Pitt, but he had a new quarterback and he had a new offensive coordinator, a, a big downgrade in Whipple. And it's like... It's, it's difficult to call Lincoln Riley's system a downgrade, but his place in that system kind of is because USC is a loaded wide receiver room. And while I say that, I have absolutely zero doubt in my mind. So while I'm still a little bullish on Addison, um, I have absolutely zero doubt in my mind. He's the best wide receiver in that room. Um, I, I mean, I love Mario Williams. I, w- I was going to be higher on drafting him. I thought his ADP was way too low as the potential mm-hmm. to be the wide receiver one uh, in that offense. But um, I, I have no yet there's Gary Bryant fans, but like, it's not even close. This Addison guy was the best wide receiver in college football. So all that being said, I think he's going to have huge weeks, um, when they need him to. And I think with that defense, I, I do think the defense is going to suck. Um, yes. so I think they're going to be shootouts. Um, but you are correct. Usually I don't like drafting a round one round two. It's similar to what we said. Like if I can't project the volume, like he had a hundred receptions last year. He's not going to have a hundred receptions this year. I, I, I don't, don't think, think. So. so overall I'm fine with him with his huge upside. Uh, it's splitting hairs there. That's the range where. Two minutes. 
And you can make a similar case, Xavier Worthy and Jordan Addison, right? They're both on offenses that are going to score a lot, but in the defenses suck, but they have, um, they have people they're going to compete with. There are other pretty damn good weapons on those teams, right? So um, he's a hard one for me. I'm, I'm fine with him. I, I don't think I want to draft him in the first round too often. If he gets to me at the, especially in like the middle of the second round, um, where if you can grab a Deuce Vaughn, a Jordan Addison, I'm seeing some people are getting Rasheen Ali, Jordan Addison. I still think you're getting wide receiver one, RB one. But if you're taking him in the first and there's a chance you're missing out on RB one, I think I'd like to draft. I have to cross my fingers and hope a Braylon Allen falls to me because that happens not very often, at least in the drafts I'm in. So this is a hard one for me to say. I'm not giving it a, a fire or an ice. I think it sounds about right. I'm giving it an ice. And the reason why, as long as I can get wide receivers in some drafts, it doesn't have to be everyone, but in some drafts, if I can get a wide receiver like Jermaine Burton, Josh Downs, um, who are some other guys that typically go like third round, Marvin uh, Harrison. Marvin Harrison, another great one. If, as long as I can get guys like that in third round, no way am I reaching up for Jordan Addison in the first round. The first round wide receivers to me has pretty much been solidified to just Jackson Smith and Jigba, just A.T. Perry. Um, pretty much anybody else. I, I I like Xavier Worthy. I think he's worth an early second round pick because I think he has kind of solidified, even though you're right, he is going to be dividing it between Isaiah and Nayor. I don't think he is battling quite as many guys as Addison's going to be able to. And I think Texas is going to throw the ball just a little bit more. Um, so I'm going to say that, again, as long as I can get guys like Josh Downs, Jermaine Burton, Marvin Harrison, um, even guys like uh, Jalen Cropper, I'll, uh, Quentin Johnson, I think, makes it to the third round sometimes. I will take those guys there over Addison in the first every single time. And that's where I think Addison belongs is there in like the, like just anywhere in the third round, I think I would be okay with Addison going right now. I think he's going way too high. I think people are buying a little bit too much into the, he's a really good receiver in a really good system, but they're kind of ignoring the fact that again, I mentioned earlier, we didn't give Mario Williams this treatment. Mario Williams would have been the wide receiver one probably if Addison wasn't there, but we weren't drafting Mario Williams in the first round there. He was probably going maybe fifth, sixth round. I agree, Addison's a better receiver. But to go from expecting the wide receiver one at USC to be a fifth, sixth round guy to all of a sudden a guaranteed first, I'm off of that. I'm putting the ice on Jordan Addison here. That's a fair point. I think um, like the Pitt thing last year, because he exploded last year, and I mean, he's damn good. Like I love Jordan Addison, but it was a unique thing where the Whipple offense like it hadn't really clicked it finally clicked they had Kenny Pickett there for his 100th year on campus and a lot of that was like Pitt was a joke trying to run the ball like they, they couldn't run the ball and they got into these shootouts where it was just perfect for Addison and Pickett blossoming at the right time like on USC there there's just question marks that weren't there at Pitt and that's weird to say but yeah Kayla Williams can run Travis Dye can run there's other weapons um there's just concerns that weren't there whereas Pitt's offense was throw Addison the ball and win the game so yeah good point all right, let's move on to our next wide receiver here. Uh, we're going to talk about, again, I have Parker Washington up on the screen here, but I really wanted to take this opportunity to really talk about just the Penn State wide receivers in general. It's been a while since we kind of touched on this debate between these two guys. Uh, but even so, Parker Washington, he's up here on the screen. Uh, May ADP of 70, put him in around 6. He has dropped since then. In June, he has an ADP of 92, putting him in around 8. But I also kind of want to compare him to where Mitchell Tinsley 
is going. I think we are all kind of in agreement that these are the two top wide receivers we're looking at in this offense. Tinsley is going with an ADP about 134, puts him around the round 12 range. He's risen a little bit since last month. He's now in June. He's got about 121, putting him around 11. Um, again, this is a discussion worth having, in my opinion, because, again, we saw Jahan Dotson be a world beater last year. He was the wide receiver five in all of CFF last year. Yeah, we don't love the Penn State offensive system, but they clearly can't produce a guy. And so we're looking at these two guys, Parker Washington, the returning veteran, going to be in the slot. But you also have Mitchell Tinsley, who was incredible at Western Kentucky the year before and looks to be taking over that X position that Jahan Dotson had last year. Out of these two guys, JD, who are you targeting? And like, really, again, we can we can put the ice or fire on either one of them. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, Parker Washington is going too high for my likings. He's a good player. I understand it, but that's not really how I how I look at drafting, right? You have to project the roles they're going to play in the offense, and you're, you're correct. That's my line of thinking. I don't know who's going to be the alpha, but from what we've seen in this offense, Tinsley would be more likely to slide into that Jahan Dotson role. So I'm a little conflicted because it seems like Tinsley should be value, and I think he has big upside, but he's a transfer up and... I think Jahan Dotson just quite simply was one of the most underrated players in college football heading into last year because he ran a slow 40 time or something and people didn't think he was that good. And he was, he was a freak of nature. So I don't really think Tinsley is a freak of nature. Um, I know the system can support a wide receiver one, but I think that's more been about them just having freaks uh, and I don't see a total freak. So I think they're both fine football players, but they're um, for sure. Like Washington's going too high. If you're taking an upside swing on Tinsley, I mean, he's at least coming at the cheaper price and I'm never going to hold it against you for, for value shopping. And I see the line of reasoning, but um, I don't know. I guess I'm kind of out on both these guys. I feel like I don't have a single share. No, I, 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 I have definitely been hesitant to pick either one of them, but I think I'm starting to come around on the idea of picking up Tinsley. Again, if, if he's going to go round 11, round 12, we're out again. I mentioned before, we're outside of me trying to pick my starting lineup, going for the swing for the fences here. I'm probably going to be more interested in taking the guy who is taking over the same position that Jahan Dotson took over last year. Again, I like, um, I like, again, I like the talent of Tinsley. I think him coming in, I was a little worried that he, people were going to overhype him and he wouldn't even be a starter for Penn State because um, of the step up in competition. Very clearly, it sounds like the coaching staff want him to be a starter for them. So that's already good news for me right there. And Parker Washington, again, he did fine last year. I'm trying, let me see if I can look up what his finish was last year. He finished as the wide receiver 101 last year. So I, I say fine, but like, again, that's actually kind of horrible for CFF purposes. Um, but, he, but even still, like if Tinsley maybe isn't as good as Parker, as Dotson and Parker Washington can get some, get, get some more looks in this offense. Maybe you're looking at a guy who can finish like top 70, top 60 in CFF this year, but you're not looking for that in round 60 or in round six. You're looking for that in round 10 or 11, which is right around where Tinsley's going. I say Tinsley, I'm going to put the ice on Parker Washington. I'm going to put a, like a small baby fire on. So again, we'll put ice here and then we're going to do small baby fire for Tinsley. So that's, that's how I'm kind of feeling about it. What do you think, JD? 
I think I agree. Uh, I kind of talked to myself into Tinsley here a little bit, but um, I think you could make a case for this Penn State offense taking a jump up because you, you mentioned Nick Singleton. You know, James Franklin mentioned he, he's making an emphasis to improve the run game. Well, you, sh- you should have done that a while ago, Franklin, but that's okay. Um, right. And then you have talented wide receivers and you can talk shit about Sean Clifford all you want, but I mean, look no further than Kenny Pickett. I'm not saying he's going to be the next Kenny Pickett, but when you've started this many years, you have this much experience, it, it does count for something. And then Mike Yersich, I mean, I don't know. I had big hopes for him when he, when he got to Penn state and now it's year two in the system, you can make a case this offense takes a step forward. Um, so I think, uh, I think I'm okay with, with the emojis. I do think both of these guys kind of eat into each other's workloads. I agree that, that Tinsley probably is not going to be Jahan Dotson. Whereas, you know, Clifford just locked in on Dotson all year. Like there's a chance a lot of that work goes to Washington, but there's also a chance. I mean, you know, just trust the system. And if he's sliding right into there and he's going for cheaper, I, I think that's good business in the long run. And that's how you should be handling your investments as long-term thinking. So I, I don't hate it at all. Yep. I definitely would agree. Let's go ahead and first of all, get rid of these emojis off the screen. So bye-bye and bye-bye. All right, and let's hit up our last wide receiver here. We got one more wide receiver and then we're gonna talk about one tight end. Uh, We got Rashi Rice, wide receiver at a SMU, second SMU player we've talked about here today. His May ADP was 51, which put him in round five. His June ADP though is 39, putting him there at the beginning of the fourth round. Um, JD, what do you think about this? Because I just saw you pick him as at your 309 in our best ball that we're doing right now. So clearly, I think you're thinking of uh, putting a fire emoji here. What do you think, sir? It's funny. That's what you would think. That's actually my second share of rice, and my other one came, I think, yesterday morning. So, um, I, I actually. I don't know if I'd give it a fire emoji. So here's why I picked him in the third round. One, I just wanted a share of him because I didn't have any. And he was going a lot higher than I had him ranked. That's for sure. He was. And third round, I don't have him ranked as a third round wide receiver, but right, ranks aren't always everything. So let me explain why I wanted some shares. Um, it's very simple. It's Rhett Lash. They're going to score a lot of points. Uh, we have four years of history for Lashley. And in those four years, his wide receiver one has averaged 85 receptions for over 1,100 yards and 10 touchdowns. And it's been pretty consistent. We've seen some some blow-up years in there, too. They're going to run with pace. He's going to have a good quarterback, whether it be Stone or Mordecai. Probably Mordecai, but who knows. And there's talent around them. And, and you know, rising tide lifts all boats. I, I see that. They, they have a ton of transfers, and that's why I'm worried. It's a very talented, very loaded, very confusing wide receiver room. And I think that's why I originally had right ranked below that the wide receiver rooms and he hasn't been at the top of the pecking order in those receiving rooms right so that was my initial concern that's why I had him ranked eventually just looking at that wide receiver one history I know they're going to have a very 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 productive wide receiver and none of those transfers has really stepped up or has really shown to be the guy it's they just keep bringing more in which tells me that um, they're not super confident with what they have. So whether that be Rice or the guys behind him, I more took it as an indictment on the guys behind him. I've kind of talked myself into Rice. He's the most experienced. He's been there. He's played with Mordecai. I've just said, okay, I'm. he doesn't need to be a world beater to put up over 1,000 yards with 80 receptions and double-digit touchdowns. So I I don't want to give him a fire emoji just because – 
there's so much uncertainty. They've recruited well. They have Roderick Daniels. They have Dylan Goffney, um, right? And if, if either one of those guys had shown shown me more in their freshman year, I, I would talk myself into them being the wide receiver one. And the transfers, again, none of them have stepped up. So the only reason I'm not giving him a fire emoji is that I'm like not completely sold. He's he's like the guy, like talent wise. I'm not sold. He's the guy. But um, yeah, I, I don't I don't want him as my wide receiver one. I, trying to say because i'm trapped i have him as my wide receiver one and that's the first time i've done that the other share i got with him i waited until the end of the fourth round and i had already had two other wide receivers i felt confident about and that was kind of like the mo ibrahim strategy i was talking about where if i could say hey if rice hits now i have three 1000 yard wide receivers so that's more how i'd like to approach it i love the fifth round i i I think i i couldn't let him slip past the fifth round just because just volume just numbers wise i i have to pull the trigger My, my brain will allow me to to, to not do that um, in fourth, like third round, like it's like, uh, like it doesn't make me feel good. This draft, I didn't, I didn't feel great about taking him there. Um, fourth round is kind of in between. So I, I'm on either side. Like if he's fifth round, I'm giving him a fire emoji. If he's third round, I'm not quite on ice, but I don't know. What's, what's your take on ice? So I really like that May ADP of late fourth, early fifth. Because that's where I, right about where I had him. He was the wide receiver 18 in May. He's my wide receiver 18. I'd be willing to bump him up a spot or two, but not too far. In June, he's currently the wide receiver 13. I'm not ready to say that Rushy Rice will be a wide receiver one for the year. Um, and I like him a lot. I, was, I, I, I would say I was on him a little bit earlier than some people because a lot of people were like, oh, kind of like how you mentioned, JD, they're bringing so many guys. Like, are we really sure that... Like, they're that confident in Rashi. Rashi was the name I just kept hearing over and over and over again from the beat writers. And so I'm agreeing with you that that's them bringing all those guys in was more of an indictment on the guys behind Rashi. So I think Rashi's going to be an incredible pick for uh, anybody this upcoming year. I'm just not willing to pick him in the early fourth round. Especially, again, you picked Rashi Rice in the 3-9. After him, Marvin Mims went off the board, I'd probably be more comfortable with Marvin Mims, especially as the wide receiver one in a Levy offense. Uh, Dante Cephas, uh, Stefan Cobbs, Zachary Franklin, those are all guys that I love. They all went later into the fourth round. I'd take probably all those guys over Rashi Rice. But again, it's not too far off. If Rashi then gets into the fifth round, I'm, hell yeah, I'll be all over Rashi Rice in the early fifth round. The, the thing that's painful for me, and why I said that pick was painful, like I didn't have any wide receivers, all the quarterbacks, like you took Will Rogers. So like all of my tier one gone. Right. And I'm sitting there like, damn, because Marvin Harrison went three picks before Rashi Rice. And like, I feel so much better about Marvin Harrison, like not even close, so much better about him in the third round than I do Rice. Um, It's just, you know, sometimes the board doesn't fall that way. So I don't know, Marvin Mims. And I agree with you. You know, it's like, there's two great wide receiver systems because they were top of my queue. And, you know, you have the Levy and you have the Lashley and it's like, it's just, it's flip a coin. So, um, so yeah, I would say if you don't have a strong take on rice personally, when you're drafting, I mean, just wait, if he gets there in a good spot in the fourth or fifth, then, then take him. And if he doesn't, don't reach unless you, you love a guy. Cause your top three picks should be, should be guys that you feel extremely confident about. Like don't go out of your way just because it's conventional wisdom or his ADPs rising. Um, take a guy you love. If you feel yucky about your pick, then probably, probably just don't do it. Hmm. So overall with everything, I'm going to put the ice on here, but we're going to go baby ice cube. 
So I think I think a slight cool off here for Rashi Rice, but not much. Again, I'm advocating he's going like his June ADP is early third or early fourth, late third right now. I'm advocating for him to be taken like early, like late fourth, early fifth. I think it's I'm more of just asking like let's stop the rise here. I'm okay with the idea of him going like early fourth if people really love him. But I don't think I think you're going to start getting into territory of you're making a bad value pick if you go much higher than where he, where he's going right now. So we're going to talk about one more guy here that we don't have an official graphic for or anything. But JD, you mentioned right before the show, you do want to talk about him, and I mentioned to you. I thought it was crazy when I saw him go four five in this best ball that we're both in right now, and that's Brian Cobb's wide receiver out of Utah State. And a lot of people who've listened to this show for a good while here are probably looking at me, being like, Jared, are you about to tell us like? The guy that you promoted for the Utah State wide receiver room, you're going to tell us to cool off on him? I'm going to say, yes, yes, I am. I was totally off of an Xavier, Xavier Williams uh, when people were drafting him really high for the Utah State wide receiver room. I am now going to say cool off on Brian Cobbs, especially if you are thinking about taking him in the fourth round. Guys, you can wait on the Utah wide receiver room. I love Cobbs. I think he has the best shot to be the wide receiver one for Utah State this upcoming year. Um, but that isn't an endorsement for me to tell you, or that's not me endorsing the idea of draft him as if he's, as if he is the guaranteed guy. If he's the guaranteed guy, yeah, you're picking him up in the third, fourth, second round. Absolutely. But we're not there yet, y'all. There's other guys I like in that system as well. Justin McGriff, tall, lanky guy, outside receiver. Doesn't quite fit what, uh, Devin Tompkins was last year. It uh, doesn't matter. He's a returning guy in that system. Uh, and Anderson has shown before that he is willing to um, reward guys or veterans in his system. So I like Justin McGriff. You can I get mean, him at a much, much cheaper rate. Was speaking that? of tall, lanky guys, wasn't Omar Bayless like an insane wide receiver one for Anderson? Exactly. And Jonathan Adams was an outside guy too. So yeah, I think a lot of people, like they're not going in on Tompkins last year and why I didn't have enough of him is he didn't look like the the big imposing guys that Anderson has had in the past and I looked like a fucking idiot for saying that sorry exactly. if I wasn't supposed to curse I looked like an idiot so I would just say a lot of you can over talk yourself looking at these these body types it is important but unless you have like a very solid history I would say sometimes that's again it's the forest and the trees thing so anyway yeah. sorry you're making good points no, and and, and it's similar, similar point. Brian Cobbs, he's six foot two. I mean, he, I mean, Tom, Tompkins last year was less than six foot. Like, I still like yeah. Cobbs the best out of the group, but even still, like Justin McGriff, another guy you can get up much later and probably has. I don't say as decent of a chance. Again, I like Cobbs the best, but he's a decent enough chance where I'm going to take him over where Cobbs is going in the fourth round every single time. Terrell Vaughn, again, we miss out a lot on these JUCO guys. They brought in Terrell Vaughn out of Juco. He is a smaller guy. So if they're going to continue with that archetype and they're going to keep him in the slot, I've seen a lot of reports coming out of spring camps and spring games and stuff like that. Terrell Vaughn is one of the first people that media pe- that media types are talking to. And so that tells me that the staff likes him. And I'll take Terrell Vaughn in the, God, it's like probably 18th, 19th round before he, people even consider the idea that he might be an option. So I'll take him over where Brian Cobbs is going. And then as much as I dogged on Xavier Williams, there is still technically a chance that he could pop out in this system. Like, I, again, to me, 
whoever is being the conventional wisdom taken way too high here, just wait and go for the rest of the guys further down the draft. You're going to get a much better value down there. And yes, you may miss out because maybe Brian Cobbs is the guy, and I was right from the beginning. But at some point, there is just your take. It's a little too risky. What do you think, JD? I agree. I, I love what you're saying about Utah State. I don't think I've left a single draft without at least having one Utah State player. It's the Anderson system. People forget how drastically they improved. They won the Mountain West title um, last year after being one of the worst teams in college football. So Anderson systems tried and true. That change does not happen overnight. Their offense was not fantastic to start the year. Then you go looking through the game logs when they needed to win games and they were winning games and how they were winning them. It's Logan Bonner, four touchdowns, Logan Bonner, four touchdowns, Logan yep. Bonner, five touchdowns, Devin Tompkins just going absolutely crazy. And those other guys going crazy bowling Dante, Wright. They had three fantasy relevant wide receivers, especially when they heated up. So I think that scheme, they have found their scheme. They've found their fit. Have they found all the wide receivers? No, that's why they're throwing stuff at a wall, hoping something sticks. There isn't already a Rashi Rice there who we know, or again, we aren't even sure that Marvin Mims. So that's why it's a different projection. We're very confident in Utah State. We both really like them, but there is not that clear alpha. We think it's Cobbs. Again, it's conventional wisdom. It is guessing. He's not an obvious wide receiver one. Could he be? I, I think I would project him highest, but when it's fourth round as compared to McGriff going in like 19th, Terrell Vaughn, I have, I've seen going undrafted. That's a good point. You brought him up. I don't have enough Terrell Vaughn. I'm going to make sure I, I draft him near the end of some of these best balls. Um, it's, it's just a pricing thing. Like, Again, if I'm drafting him that high, I need to be sure. And I understand the upside for Cobbs. There's also a ton of downside. Like he may have 500 yards and five touchdowns and barely see the field. So he'll probably see the field, but he's nowhere near guaranteed to be the guy. Like he's a similar profile to McGriff and McGriff, say what you want to about McGriff, but he actually looks pretty good to end the year. Um, like I, I rewatched that Mountain West game against against San Diego State, and I thought McGriff looked a lot better. I think he has a worse reputation than he should have, uh, whereas Cobbs had a good bowl game, so so people like him, right? So, um, yeah, it's, it's a great point. I would put oh. the ice emoji while I'm, I'm fire emoji on pretty much the entire offense. And you can say that's weird, but when you're drafting, it's all value. It's I'm not going to take Cobbs in the third round. I'm not going to take him. And just a quick correction there. Um, Cobbs did not play in the bowl game. Cobbs uh, transferred from Maryland during the offseason. He had a big, okay, whatever. He had a big something game. Or, or, or actually, no, you, you may be referring to Maryland's bowl game. Cause I think he did yeah, have yeah, a pretty yeah. good game in the Maryland bowl game. Yeah, um, that's what I meant. Virginia I, I, Tech thought you meant Virginia. I thought you meant the Utah State uh, bowl game. And I'm just like, he didn't yeah. play for Utah State back then. No, no, no. It's okay. always, the bowl games always overrate people. And bowl games are super because they're off work or whatever. Uh, and, and it's kind of like the spring games where it's what you have to go off. So Cobbs, he had the big game against Virginia tech and that weird game where like Virginia tech barely played any of their guys. They were, they were without their coaching staff and not to discount what Cobbs did. I think he's a big talented wide receiver who could put up astronomical numbers in the system. It's just, that's what's sticking in people's head. Whereas, you know, and now Xavier Williams, I, I have a fair amount of him too, because he's, he's free in drafts and it's like, yeah. well, okay, we haven't seen him, but he's also been playing at Alabama. And there's a reason we haven't seen him. If he played at Maryland, there's a chance he would have put up huge numbers in the bowl game. So um, I think overall, you just have to recognize it's just throw the names in a hat and whatever the price is, is, is right. Cheap at, I just keep biting. That's an yeah. offense. You need shares. of You need shares of within the first ones or four rounds. 100%. All right, let's hit up our last guy here. Going to hit up one tight end and it's the tight end. It is Michael Meyer tight end out of Notre Dame. May ADP had risen up to a point of 24.5 in draft. So very beginning of the first round, sometimes being taken in the second round. And then June, he's cooled off a little bit. ADP so far of 35. 
uh, tail end of the third round here. But the thing I really want to point out here is how he is being drafted compared to the other top four tight ends, in my opinion. To me, there's a top tier of tight ends, and then there's everybody else. But even still, Mayer, it looks like, is almost being treated as his own guy at this point. Because people started to cool off on Brock Bowers a little bit with Avery Gilbert coming back and everything like that. But in May, Meyer had an ADP of 25.5. Bowers had 34.5, so almost nine picks later. Trigg was going at 60, so the end of the fifth round. And then Kuntz was going at 75, so after the sixth round. And then go into June. A little bit of consolidation, but you have Mayer going at 35. Bowers going around 41. So about six picks after uh, half a round after Meyer. Trigg goes at 57, so that's about tw- that's about uh, 16 picks after even Bowers. And then you got Kuntz going at 64. Are we drafting Michael Meyer too high here, considering the value you can get at a t- at a, and like Trigg or Kuntz several rounds later? What do you think, JD? Um, I think yes is is probably my answer. Um, drafting tight ends high isn't. It's just not something I really do in CFF. Um, I I do have Myers, my tight end one, and I have, which is probably funny because we're both probably a little biased, even if we're trying not to be beside for Georgia. So um, even if it's a slim margin, I'm I'm glad we have we have something over you guys. We ha- we have maybe the tight end one, depending yes. on who you ask. Um, but I'm just not a huge fan of drafting tight ends early. Um, I I know there's like like I do tight end premium leagues and obviously that changes everything. But if you're just in a standard league, like half point PPR or one point PPR, I mean, you're just not getting monster numbers from Meyer or Brock Bowers. Like you're getting a few here and there. You're getting some nice 20 point games, a very good 25 point game. But um, I just, I just think it's harder to, if I'm spending a third round pick, like I said, if a Marvin Harrison went one, I think he went one pick after Meyer. Yeah, he did in this best ball we're in. Like the difference between having someone with the upside of a team that's going to score 50 points a game, True. like Ohio State, and then Meyer, who he's a great player. I love him. He's going to have a almost guaranteed, if he's healthy, to have a, a top three tight end season. His floor is, is very safe and his ceiling, he keeps getting better every year. But like, I again, like there's just a ceiling. Like if Marvin Harrison goes out there and catches 17 touchdowns, it's not a surprise. If Meyer goes out there and puts up a thousand yards and 15 touchdowns, it's just like, you don't really see that at the position and he's too valuable to what they do everywhere else on the football field. And then with a new quarterback in Buckner that you're not sure is going to have a great passing season. Um, it's a little too high. I don't know if I'm going to go full ice cube, but um, we'll, we'll see what you have to say. So when it comes to Meyer, I'm going to put a small ice cube here again. Like, I just think it is crazy. Like, again, I'm as long, it's similar to how I, uh, how I viewed Addison earlier. As long as I can pick up Michael Trigg in the fifth round, as long as I can pick up Koontz if I miss out on Trigg in the sixth, seventh round, no way am I going for Michael Meyer in the second, third round. He needs, I definitely think he needs to cool off a little bit. Him and Bowers, I've never... Like, once I really started digging into Koontz, I'm like, okay, I don't understand why Koontz is going much later than these other guys. Um, And now that Trigg, again, I fell in love with Trigg, and now his ADP has skyrocketed to the point where he's the clear consensus tight end three at this point. 
I will take both of those guys over Meyer and Powers going much earlier in the second and third round every single time. But in terms of the idea of an early tight end, I have gone back and forth on this because I got people like you who are in my ear saying like, hey, the tight end doesn't score that many points for you uh, week in and week out. True. But also I have people like Chris Moxley and Kevin Brown in my ear who will sit there and tell me like, yeah, they don't score that many points, but there's a positional advantage to having a guy at tight end that you know is going to get you at least 10 points every single week, like roughly 10 points every week, versus a guy that you're hoping maybe even gets to 10 points and you're stuck with them uh, consistently getting you like five, six points. That may be like having a guaranteed guy at that position that is so hard to predict, I think is there's something to that. But I'm also kind of with you where like at some like that becomes more valuable once you get out of your top four or five guys that you're drafting in a draft. I'm willing to reach up a little bit for Michael Trigg because I'm just falling in love with him. And to me, I grabbed him this best ball in the fifth round. Happy as happy as can be on that. 100 percent But in terms of Meyer and everything, I'm definitely putting the the ice cube here and just saying like cool off. Let's bring these top four tight ends of Meyer, Bowers, Coons, and Trigg. Bring them all together. I don't care what round it is. I, I said this, I think, last week, where if the three other three are gone, the other three tight ends are gone, it doesn't matter what round it is to me. I'm picking up that fourth guy with my next pick because I think there's a huge drop-off after those guys. So I don't even care if it's all in the first round. If everybody decides that there's going to be all four tight ends are going off in the first round, I'll probably draft the fourth tight end off. In the first round. But I don't think that's going to happen. If it settles around the fifth round, sixth round, I'm happy as a clam. I'll take tight ends at that point all day long. That's a good point. And that's, I think I want to echo that because that's mostly how I view drafting tight ends. Because like Kuntz went in the, in the sixth round of this draft. We're in the, the ninth pick of the sixth round. Like that's pretty damn late. And Yorosik was the seventh round. Like you said, Trig was fifth. Like, I understand you have a positional advantage, but I'm just, I think in no way is the positional advantage twice the draft capital of a Zach Koontz. I think they're much closer. Um, So I I think, I think that's correct. I think if you're identifying value, you're going to look for a guy like Zach. If you get him in the sixth round and Trig, I understand he has a wide range of outcomes, but like it would not be shocking if Trig approached Myers numbers. It would not be shocking at all. And if you can get him two rounds later, you just got yourself like, let's see who you got. You got Will Shipley and Will Rogers. So you can have a quarterback going out there throwing 400 yards and five touchdowns. And then you could have Shipley putting up 25 points. And then you also have a tight end one. So you do need to hit on that tight end one. I just think tight ends, they're that bad this year. Like Trigg has huge upside. Um, Kuntz, I think is a star and it does drop off a little bit after that, but even like, there's some guys that I like, I think it goes like 14 deep where uh, it's not guys I, I I love and they definitely won't be Meyer. But I think if you play them in the right weeks, if you draft like a tight end nine and a tight end 12, you get like a Gavin Bartholomew and a, I don't know, like even guys like Jaheim Bell has huge upside. Like I understand they don't have that floor, but I, I don't think it's a week, a week tight end here necessarily. Again, to me, there's a very clear top group of tight end. But again, you're right. The, the next year afterwards, it's bigger, and there's not bad. Like, if I miss out on the top four guys, I'm probably waiting as long as I can then to pick up tight ends. Because, again, I think the next year is big. 
but I would be relatively comfortable with some of them kind of going in late. Like George Takis at Boston College, wide range of outcomes, but I'll take the upside of that. We've seen Boston College do well with tight ends before. Uh, Tyrick James out of Tulane, I think he's going to be in for a big year with their new offensive coordinator. Um, but again, I'm more inclined to just go ahead and grab one of those top four guys because I think all of them are pretty much relative guarantees at this point. So I'll take a guarantee at tight end. One of them is going to fall, whether it be to the fifth, to the sixth, whether it be True. whatever, you're going to get another round or two of value if you just wait and see who falls. And right now it's looking like Myers for sure not going to fall. Um, Bowers, honestly, like he might keep falling. Like he lasts until around end of the third in this one. I was hoping he'd get back to me in the fourth. I guess there's no way that's going to happen. But if you, if you just wait, one of them, one of them you're going to get. Yeah. If, if you if you set yourself, I don't know if you set yourself maybe the fifth round. Say, hey, I'm going to draft one by the fifth round. But I need to go out there and hunt one in the third is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I, I don't think there's much need to reach up for a tight end, especially in the first four rounds. I think Trigg or Coons will be there in the fifth and seventh round. If that starts to change, we'll see how my, my view feel, uh, changes on it. But as of right now, I will own none of Bowers or Meyer at that high if I can grab Trigg or Koontz several rounds later. So that brings us to the end of our show. Again, a nice long conversation on several of these guys, but I think people are really going to enjoy it. JD, you've been absolutely awesome today, man. Uh, before we kind of get out of here, let everybody know what you're working on for Devi Watch, like what kind of stuff you got coming up, and as well as where people can find you on social media, uh, any other way to contact you, stuff like that. Yeah, so uh, really excited to be joining the Debbie Watch team this year. I uh, stand extremely busy with these conference previews, uh, hitting every conference. I have the American out. Uh, ACC is going to come out, I believe, on Tuesday. Uh, and Big 12 should hopefully be out by Thursday. So there's going to be dropping uh, pretty soon. So really excited to be joining that crew covering CFF for them. Um, I'm also going to be uh, with Josh CFF guys. I know you had him on here. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be doing some work on, on player props with, with their company fantasy points this year. So really excited to be joining the fantasy points um, company as well to give them some, uh, give them some stuff there. And, uh, but yeah, other than that, just uh, give me a follow. It's at, at Twitter. It's Yonkers CFB. Uh, my last name is Yonke. So it's Yonkers CFB. Uh, and other than that, there's not, not a ton going on. It's the summer, but we, we fill the void with, with our CFF talk. So, so yeah, this was, this was fun hopping on. Uh, it's been again it's been an absolute blast today and again great conversation on so many of these different players i'm glad we were able to disagree on some of them because again i've been told by many people that it's just a lot more entertaining of a listen whenever the two people actually disagree and it's not just people patting each other on the back of like oh yes 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 definitely lower him oh yes 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 heat him up um so great great stuff today and then a couple things i'm just going to throw out here in terms of promoting what we're doing at c2c the CFF guide is coming out in July. We are hard at work getting that together for you guys. We are going to be including previews for all 131 teams in the CFF guide. Absolutely incredible stuff that Nate, Chris, and Brandon have been able to put together on that. We're going to be including player breakdowns as well. You guys are going to be reading this for three weeks after we put it out. There's just so much content we're going to be putting out with it. So absolutely be on the lookout for that again in early July. Any other things I'm kind of working on? Again, we're continuing on with CTN here. The top is going to change pretty much every single week because there's not like a concrete thing to cover every single week. Sometimes news could come out about college football. Sometimes the player could change like we did with uh, 
Kobe Lewis and Lou Nichols this week. And sometimes we're just going to have to wing it a little bit and figure out just a fun topic to talk about. Um, but even so, y'all keep listening. I really appreciate you. We've been growing a little by little every single week, and we're really excited to see what kind of audience we can get to by the time the season actually begins. It's going to be a ton of fun, y'all. Really appreciate you guys, and y'all have a wonderful and blessed day. Thank you.